Our text is found in Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now this text which we have taken is found in the last book of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It has the whole apocalyptic scene before us. Heaven is open. Great things are taking place. The Son of God is preparing to return for his bride. The marriage supper is to be held. And the wife of the Lamb is to be received and honored. We are living in the last day, in the last day. And the church, the heart of the church, should have its eyes lifted to the heavens, waiting for which the redemption of our bodies, the day of resurrection, the day of triumph, when the Son of God shall return and receive us unto himself. Now the first thing that we'd like to do this morning is to give you something of the setting, the scenes in heaven, the hymns that are being uh, declared by the hosts of glory. And then we want to turn and look at this one whom all heaven says is worthy and why he's worthy. And then we'd like to stop and look then at those who are doing the singing the bride, the lamb, the hosts of heaven. And as we break down this text into these various settings, we want to see ourselves lifted up as God's people are lifted. We are a heavenly people. We are a peculiar people. We are a chosen generation. We are united with a great company on the other side many of whom we have known and lived close to, and they've slipped on ahead of us to be on the other shore. And something of the heavenly accent, something of the apocalyptic color, something of this transcendent emphasis upon the supernatural needs to be out. And as we go forth now for four years, when the ICC will return again to this place, I hope that these great and glorious truths of this text will abide in the whole ministry of our churches. The book of Revelation begins by saying that blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. We have here at the close of the Bible a blessing, a special, specific blessing given to those who will read this book, who will hear this book, and those who will keep the sayings of this book. And I wish to claim that blessing today for the International Council of Christian Churches. Let's read. Let's hear. Let's keep. 
The time is at hand. And we need this blessing. We need what God has said he will give to those who take this book of the end time and recognize that the time is at hand when these great things are going to come to pass. Now, of course, you have the message to the seven churches. But when you get to the fourth chapter, there's a great uh, door that's been opened into heaven. And we're permitted to look through that door and to hear the sounds that come down out of that door. And we're right very, very close to this great eternity which is just before us, where the throne of God is, where the saints are gathered together, and where the angels and the archangels, the great created hosts of glory, are gathered about. And in this first great view that we have into the heavens, we find that there's a host, a great host, that are crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And then we listen, and here is this throng of elders and the great company gathered about the throne, and they're worshiping him that liveth forever and ever, and then they're saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. The fourth chapter of the book of Revelation is a mighty glorious scene of all the whole singing of creation. God has almighty power to bring everything into being, which he did. And they're singing that the Lord is worthy. He has brought everything into being ex nihilo, out of nothing, by the word of his power. creation. And then we have the second scene, which comes in chapter 5. And in second scene, there's a book that has to be opened, the book of the judgments and the vials. There's a book in heaven that has to deal with the awful iniquity that's taking place down here on this earth. And the judgments and the condemnations, and here's the book. And it has to be opened. But there's no one that can open it. No one in heaven. No one on earth. No one that can open this book. And they ask, who is worthy to take it? Who can deal with the judgments? Who can pour out the wrath of God in his vials and his plagues upon the old earth? Who is able to open this book and dispense these judgments? No one. No one's worthy. No one's able to do it. And then we read. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he hath prevailed. He's been down there in that place where there's sin. He hath prevailed. He's been down under the curse of man's sin. He was on a cross. He hath prevailed. 
And he is the one. He's the only one who can take the judgments. The Father hath committed all judgments into his hands. And he is the only one who can take that book and open the seals and proceed with the judgments of God against the iniquity of this earth. He hath prevailed. He's been here. He's tasted. He's been tempted. He died. And so we have now the rise of this glorious one who from now on is called the Lamb. There stood a Lamb as if it had been slain. And here now we have the introduction of the Lamb. You don't get the Lamb when they sing a creation. There is no Lamb there. It's only when it comes to dealing with the judgments of God against this world and the books are to be opened. It's only at that point that the Lamb arises. And here we have the Lamb that was slain. And then we have the marvelous and glorious chorus which is made up first of the redeemed. Only the redeemed who've been brought up out of this earth, they can sing, Thou hast redeemed us by thy blood. No angel of glory cannot sing that he's been redeemed by the blood of Christ. He's never fallen. He's never been cursed. We have fallen. We have been cursed. Upon us is the sentence of death. And only those who have been redeemed by the work of Christ, they can sing that glorious song. And you find it there in the ninth verse. They sang a new song. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. Oh, he's been here. He went to the cross. He bore our iniquity. And only the one who's handled sin, only the one who's dealt with sin, only the one who became sin for us, who knew no sin, he's the only one that can deal with this old world, and he's the only one who has any help for it. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hath redeemed us to God by thy blood. That's the song that sings of redemption. Out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. And here's our International Council of Christian Churches today. Our tongues and our kindreds and our cultures and our nations. And out of these he hath redeemed us together. But here's this great host in glory singing of redemption. Singing of redemption. Beloved, when we get to heaven, we're going to sing. And while we're here on the earth, we ought to sing. We ought to be the singingest people that ever lived on this earth. The happiest people when we understand what Jesus did when he was slain. And when he went as a lamb to that slaughter for our transgression. And then we come down, and in verse 13, 
Every creature in heaven, and this includes the angels, and on the earth, this includes everyone, and under the earth, and the sea, and all were saved. Just think of this. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. The creatures and the angels that haven't fallen can't sing of redemption. But when they see what redemption has done for us, as Paul says in Ephesians, the church, by the manifold wisdom of God, declares to the principalities and the powers God's great and glorious wisdom. And the final song is everybody, the angels, everybody, blessing and honor and power and glory be unto the Lamb forever and ever. Even the angels look at us and they can see in what God did for us by the death of Christ, his wisdom. And they marvel at it. And so they praise God. Now when you turn on through this book of Revelation, you turn over to the seventh chapter, for example. And beginning there in the seventh chapter, in the ninth verse, we have this great multitude which no man can number. And they're crying with a loud voice to God and to the Lamb that sits on the throne. And in verse 12 saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And then in verse 14, And I said to him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then we read the beautiful scene that abides. Therefore are they before the throne. They serve him day and night. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sunlight upon them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You turn over to the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation. And here again we have another one of these great heavenly scenes. And in verse 3 we're reading, And they sing the song of Moses. Exodus 15, 1. The great triumph of Moses when they crossed the Red Sea and God had delivered them. And the song of the Lamb. And here we have the psalm the great song that our Savior sings and which you have in the 22nd Psalm and the 22nd verse. Moses is singing with his redeemed company. The Lamb himself is arising in the midst of the great congregation and leading the great congregation in the praise and the glory of Almighty God. We turn over to the 19th chapter. Here again we have this scene beginning with the uh, reference to the Lamb. Verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And here's the entrance of the one who comes riding upon his horse, the white horse, 
King of kings and the Lord of lords. You turn over to the 21st chapter, and in the 21st chapter, verse 9, we read, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of God from out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And verse 22, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And we come to the final great scene in Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And verse 3, there was, shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. When we come into the book of Revelation, there's a promise of blessing, a message to the churches. The hymns of creation. And then the Lamb arises. And from that moment on, beloved, it is the Lamb. Nothing but the Lamb. And the Lamb's wife, his bride. And that's it. Well, in the second place, let's look at this matter now of the Lamb. And then we'll look at the wife. No matter how you analyze this text, there's only one great glorious fact that stands out. The Lamb slain. The Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Why is he worthy? Well, he was slain. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And isn't it interesting that in these latter days when all these new thinkers and all these church leaders scoff at the idea of the blood and they mock at these things, that God has so ordained it that when you come to the conclusion of the Bible and you look into the glorious future that just ahead, just ahead of us, it's the Lamb and His blood, it's the Lamb and the cross, it's the Lamb and the sacrifice. That's what stands out and that's what the church is going to glory in. And that's why we're willing to say thou art worthy. There is no one else that was good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. And the emphasis of this great text is that God had ordained that the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world would come to Calvary and there make the atonement. The great emphasis of this song is that the redeemed in the ages to come will look back to that cross that stood on that hill outside the walls of Jerusalem and there the sacrifice was made that satisfied forever divine justice against the sin of our first parents and the disobedience of every one of us. This cross deals with sin. This cross deals only with sin. This cross was ordained that it might forever remove all the consequences of our sin 
guilt, pollution, condemnation, death. That cross was to take every single obstacle out of the way so that we could be brought back to the Father, redeemed, justified. Oh, beloved, this reference to the Lamb and to his being slain takes in all of the Old Testament. Here's the Passover lamb, the night they went out of Egypt. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Here are the sacrifices that God gave to Moses. Here was the tabernacle. Here was the temple. All of this, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And it was just as clear to the Old Testament saints who were saved by faith as Abraham was, as it is to you and me, that it was the substitutionary atonement. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We know exactly what it was. He was a lamb. He was sinless. God put our sin on him and he bore it in our room instead. He was our substitute. The whole thing has been clearly explained and it's transparent to everyone. You want to understand what Christ did on that cross? He died for your sins. He died. So you wouldn't have to die. He took your curse and paid the penalty for your condemnation. That you being freed from all the consequences of your guilt and your transgression. By Jesus Christ. Could stand and say. I have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The blood which make atonement for us. Do you know just at this point, the confession of 1967 of the United Presbyterian Church comes in. Right here. The new confession comes up to the cross and blurs, comes up to the cross and stops, and says it's a mystery. And that's where they stop. They can't go on to the vicarious substitutionary atonement. They can't go on into the place where the blood makes an atonement because they don't believe it. But this new confession of 1967 Listen to this. God's reconciling act in Jesus Christ is a mystery which the scriptures describes in various ways. And they want to make the cross a mystery. And hiding under the word mystery, hiding back under that, beloved, they cover up their rejection of the cross. They cover up their repudiation of the blood which is so offensive. Oh, yes, they want a cross, but it's a cross of their making. They want a cross to carry before them, but it is a cross who's had all the offense taken out of it. All of that which brings man down to the place where man says, I'm a sinner, and only man is vile. 
It's the cross that brings you and me down to the place where we can say, Lord, we can do nothing. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot contribute to our redemption. We are depraved. We are undone. We are under the curse of God. And no one can lift that curse except the Lamb who was slain. Oh, beloved, no wonder when you and I get to glory and we join in singing these great choruses. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. It's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that made it possible for us to enter through the door of death and into his glorious presence. It's only the sacrifice of Christ, and I can assure you today that I believe that through all the ages of the ages, it will be this blood of the cross of our Savior in which you and I will delight. Because that sacrifice alone made him worthy, worthy to be our Savior, worthy to deal out the judgments against this earth which are to come upon Worthy is the last. My beloved, this text goes on and says he's worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I'm sure that there is significance in the divine sequence of these words. It's interesting also to compare the ones that you have here with the sequence in the order that you find in the other hymns. That would be a message, of course, in itself. But he was slain, and then the first word is to receive power. Power. And it's because he had the power, because God gave him the power, that we do say, had he been slain, And had he died like any other man died, and if his body were mixed in the dust of a Syrian desert somewhere, if that's all there were to it, we'd have no song. But he was raised from the dead on the third day. I have power to lay my life down, he said. I have power to take it up again. No man taketh it from me. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Beloved, when he went into the tomb, it could not contain him. And hallelujah, Christ arose. And he received power. And it's this resurrection power which he has and for which we thank God which was manifested when he ascended up into heaven from the top of the Mount of Olives. And he's gone now to sit at the right hand of the Father. Oh, beloved, as I preach this gospel to you this morning, let us thank God that we're not in the mysteries. Let us thank God we're not with the Hindus with all their vain philosophies. Let us thank God that we don't have to go to Mecca to pay tribute to a tomb. Let us thank God that our Savior received power He's alive. He's there at the right hand of the Father. Then the great chorus goes on and says to receive riches. 
riches. All the wealth of the universe is his. He's the heir of all things. The Father hath appointed him to be the heir. And we are joint heirs with him. My beloved, I love to think of that. Sometimes when I get into these areas of thinking and my little mind begins to expand, and we begin to wonder, bless your heart, on the resurrection day, I'd like to go around and look at my inheritance. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And you talk about, some of the people say, these fundamentalists don't believe that man will ever get to the moon. Oh, I, I know man's going to get to the moon. As a matter of fact, when I get my new body, I'm not going to bother with the moon. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going out yonder to the great expanse of this magnificent universe which our Savior created and God's going to take the curse off of it because of what Christ did on that cross for you and me. And when we receive our new bodies and we're going to rejoice in the riches that all heaven and all creation shall lay at the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's worthy to receive these wisdoms. And then wisdom. I can't develop each one of these, of course, but in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And when I look at our educational systems today and the humanism and the secularism and I see how the state has its education, you have to drive out anything that has to do with God except you can deny him, you can attack his word. You can repudiate that there is a God, beloved, all wisdom, all knowledge is in Christ. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and ye are complete in him. And I tell the students in this college, week after week as I'm here with them, our textbook is the Bible. The number one textbook of all knowledge and of all learning is the special divine revelation. God hath made Jesus Christ to be wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's what he's made him to be for us. And he shall receive power and he shall receive riches. And then we go on and he shall receive wisdom. He shall receive strength and honor and glory and blessing. When you look at these words, who's going to give these things to him? Well, the Father is. But we're going to join in it. We're going to join in the declaration that blessings come from him. And he is to receive the blessings. Blessing and honor and praise be upon our God and unto our God forever and forever. Oh, beloved, as I open this scripture, my soul gets wrapped up in this glorious truth. Why can't we have this attitude toward him now? What's wrong with us? We're redeemed. This isn't our dwelling place. We know the judgment is to be executed. We're here to live for our Savior. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it to the glory of God. And let's have the liberty to do it. Let's do it for the glory of our God. And may we truly say, Lord, take self, crucify the old man. Let me take him and put him underfoot. And let the Lord Jesus Christ be formed in me. May I take his word. 
May I use the means of grace which he has ordained for the church in this day. Let us pray. Let us be faithful unto the sacraments. Let us stand by the Holy Scriptures. Let us do these things which will enable the image of Christ to be formed in us. Let us do it now. Now. I'm so concerned as a pastor. I heard the story this week of a lovely family where the children are getting away and the family's losing their children. You pick up the newspaper and here's one of these candidates for the presidency. Well, I just saw a picture of him. And here's his daughter out here with one of these whole hippie things and she's been arrested on some sort of a dope charge. What is happening to these young people? Why are they going like they're going? And what are these forces that are pulling them away from their fathers and the things that their fathers live for? And it's in this area, beloved, that we have to do something. We must take things in hand and we must help and we must have Christian schools and Christian colleges and we must be concerned about this whole area of education. But if some of this that's in heaven in which we see could just come down into our hearts now and we could live in that triumph and live in that spirit, oh, how the old devil would be dealt with. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. He's the only one who's been down here where we are. The angels haven't been down. Well, Gabriel made a little mission down here, but they're not down here where we are in this muck. In this awful place where sin abounds, where sin rules, where the devil's the prince of the power of the air. We're down here in the midst of these forces and they have conspired to stand against Christ. And the servants not above his master. If they've hated him, they're going to hate us. We know our position. We see it. And beloved, I just want to say to you, dear saints today, thank God the Bible tells us where we are, who we are, what we're supposed to do, and where we're going. Where we are, who we are, what we're supposed to do, and where we're going. It's all here. Now let's turn for a few moments to the latter part. Turn to that 19th chapter. And here we have the scene of the wife of the Lamb. In the 19th chapter, the heavens are opened. And here comes one with the mighty host. And there's a throng singing, Alleluia, Alleluia. For true and righteous are his judgments. The marriage of the Lamb is come. Right blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And he hath a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's come for the bride, the marriage supper. At this point, beloved, I want to take you to the 17th chapter of John. Where in that great intercessory prayer, when our Savior cried out to the Father, and he prayed that thou wouldst keep the bride, keep his own from the wicked one. He was dying for his bride, for his church. Those whom the Father had given him, he says, I won't lose one of them. He was dying on that cross for his precious one. And in the 22nd Psalm, when you come to the climax of that crucifixion scene, where Christ is dying and he said, I thirst, and he describes his sufferings and his bones, and he cries out to the Father, and he comes down there, and then he speaks to the Father, and he says, Oh, that thou wouldst keep them from the power of the dog. My darling, he says, my precious one, and beloved, everything that Jesus did when he left heaven under the appointment of the Father was to come down here and take out of this world a company that would be his bride. And when we come to the close of Revelation, with all this emphasis upon first creation, then the lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the singing, the blood, the cleansing, when we come to the end of it, the lamb comes with her bride. And the lamb brings her bride, brings his bride. And here we come. He says, let me give you a picture of it. Look. And here's the holy city. Here's the general assembly of the first begotten from the dead. Here they come. Coming down from God out of heaven. And God shall wipe away all tears. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor suffering. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are past Behold, I make all things new. And when I was over in Uppsala in July, attending the World Catholic Churches, and they had their signs, all things new, all things new, it was new down here, and they don't have power to make anything new. It was a new society. It was a new order. It was a new revolution. A new revolution. Everything was new, 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 and they don't have power to make anything new. The only one who has any power to make anything new is Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Christ says, I have a new heavens and a new earth, and righteousness will abide in that place because God himself shall be king of kings, and the Lamb shall reign, and he shall rule, and his own shall look upon him and say unto him, Thou art worthy to receive honor and praise and glory. Does a song like this have any melody in your heart? Is it there? You'd like to begin to sing it like this? If you're redeemed, it ought to be there. If you're not redeemed, 
It's not that. And last night as I gave the invitation, you know the responses that we had. Ten came to Christ last night. And you people who've listened to this message today from the book of Revelation, here it is. Worthy is the Lamb. Yes, he's worthy because he died for you. He's worthy because he wants you to come and believe in him. He's worthy because he offers you redemption. And the great ministry of the Lamb in this place is that sinners will come and believe in him and find the treasure of everlasting life. Behold the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain was in the midst thereof. And the great congregation gathers about him and sings these mighty hymns of glory and thanksgiving and honor and praise. Is Jesus Christ your Lamb? Is Jesus Christ the one who died for you, my friend? Will you be in this great chorus when we sing it in that great day? Or will you be among those upon whom the vials are opened and the plagues shall fall and the judgment shall stand? Where will you be, my friend? Let us pray. <clears throat> o oh Lord our God, we do thank thee that it is redemption and redemption alone that restores and recreates. It is Christ and Christ alone who is the Redeemer. And all his works are in righteousness. We thank thee for the message. Oh, Father, we've been in Revelation today. We've been in the apocalyptic times. We've been in heaven. And if there's anyone in this assembly just now who isn't saved, oh, Lord, Wilt thou speak to their heart that they may believe that just this Christ, this Savior, has washed us from our sins in his own precious blood.